0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants, and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Jane!
1: Jane! There's no hot
0: water! I know, dear!
1: Eat your cereal, Elroy. Yuck! This tastes like grass, Mom. It is grass, dear. Sorry, Mom. My stomach tells me I'm hungry enough to eat anything, but my mouth won't cooperate. Jane, have you seen my shower this morning? The elephant disappeared!
0: So has my hippo vacuum cleaner, my lizard can opener, and the bird needle on my record player. I can't play Iggy's album anymore. We may all disappear if we don't get some food in us soon. Mom's right. I can't live on love alone, Daddy.
1: Well, it looks like somebody's gonna have to get a job, and fast. (sighs) Who else?
2: Good morning, London. It is Thursday, October 14, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Vaughan. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into colour, colour into black and
3: white. Under the bedclothes, everything
2: will
3: be alright.
2: Welcome once again to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation, or give us a comment, or you can email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. And today we will be talking, I guess our basic theme today, Robert, is poverty. Poverty, yes. Poverty. And all a lot of issues related to poverty. Is poverty as bad as we think, or is it worse than we think? Are we all going to be much poorer? Because certainly the future looks quite gloomy from the way we hear a lot of people painting it. We talk a little bit about the gap between the rich and poor and uh, relatives in poverty, or should that be the relativity of poverty? I'm not too sure. Probably both. And talk a little bit about poverty's cure and the welfare state. It's all one part of one big package. If you've been listening to the news this week, you've been hearing a lot of... uh, Well, these were inevitable. We kind of predicted them, eh, Robert? Clarity is cutting transfer payments. We hear Jay Stanford locally, Oh, he's all upset that the city won't be receiving its eco-transfer fees. We hear that children's aid is going to be completely out of cash by January. Um, I heard someone talking about $137 billion unfunded pension, you know, pension debt that the government's accumulated, and on and on and on. And I think the catalyst that got me started thinking about this was this article here from the London Free Press last week on Monday, I think it was October 5th, Failure to Reach Out Hurts All Report. That's what the report says. It's written by Deborah Van Brank, and it reports about uh, the London Community Foundation, who put out a report called Vital Signs. And Martha Powell, Executive Director of the Grant Giving Foundation, said that uh, London's not living up to its quote potential, I guess apparently we are more educated and generous than average ontarians but we're still home to thousands of children living in stunning poverty stunning poverty they were uh, talking uh. about some of the things i heard in the radio on other stations were, you know some a child showing up at school and the only thing they have for lunch is a half-rotted apple uh-huh. you know you hear stories like this also says that despite being among canada's largest immigrant destinations many newcomers don't feel welcome to work play or learn in london well, if that's true, why are we one of Canada's largest immigrant de- destinations? I always wonder at a statement like that. And, of course, the city's homeless shelters are constantly full. Seven of ten Londoners say they believe that this community is theirs to shape, but they stay away in droves at election time. We're just talking about the poor turnout at the mayoralty uh, debate here at the university.
4: A handful of students apparently showed up.
2: Yes. A handful. And, uh, of course, what this... What this um, um group vital signs and um this this is a grant giving foundation the london community foundation and i think mostly i get the impression they're a voluntary group because they have a 12 or f- sorry a 42 million dollar endowment fund that basically collects uh, generates you know income yes and then they use that income to give grants to people which to me is a proper way of yep of looking after charitable issues nothing
4: wrong with that at all
2: no but uh, when you hear what they think... you know Here, here, here they are in one part talking about you know, children who live in stunning poverty, so I'm thinking, okay, they must be giving all their money to these kids to get them out of stunning poverty. But in one case, they say the grant uh, helped the Daily Bread Food Bank buy reusable shopping bags for its clients. Mm-hmm. Now, see, that's one of the things they do, and it was also helped out from TD Canada Trust and Gary's No Frills. In another quote-unquote partnership... Um, They have free arts for all kids program with dance, drama, art class, music, and writing.
4: That'll get them out of poverty.
2: Yeah. And, uh, and you know, you see those two things juxtaposed. And I'm not saying one's worthy and one's not. That's not the point.
4: But um, actually, Bob, before you leave that topic, the thing about uh, leisure activities and hobbies, I'll get into this later, is one of the uh, defining factors of who is poor in Ontario, according to the Ontario government. Do you have a hobby or leisure activity? Oh, I know that, yes, that's true. We'll get into that a little later. But
2: uh, I have a little game I want to play with you, Robert. Um, suppose you and I wanted to help someone out of poverty or need. And say I decide, uh, okay, I'm going to give a single mother $100 today on Thursday. Okay, it's Thursday today. Now, does that mean that if I gave her $100, bucks, you would think that'd be enough to get get someone through for a day, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, would that person be no longer in poverty after I gave him the hundred dollars?
4: At least not for that day, you would think, eh? Exactly. And
2: the, but the question comes up: Well, what about tomorrow? I just gave a hundred dollars to a person in need, and yet they're still in need in the same position they were in before I gave them the money. After I gave them the money, 24 hours later, in a quote state of poverty. So on Friday, tomorrow, I give another hundred dollars to alleviate this woman's condition of poverty for one more day. Okay. So on Saturday or on Sunday or Monday, she'd be in the same position as she was, again, before I assisted her. Now, if I could maintain giving this single mother in need, say, $100 a day for each day, Monday to Friday, then she'd be getting 500 bucks a week from me. Could we then be able to say that her condition of poverty has been alleviated? Would you describe that as being alleviated?
4: If you were her permanent sugar daddy, I'd say, yeah, <laughs> she's uh, doing pretty good. Well, I guess that's the way it
2: is, you know. Uh, well, let's suppose it's not enough. She needs more than that. So I'm going to pass a law then, Robert, to ensure that you help out people in need too, say, single mothers with children to feed. You have to give this someone in need $100 a day as well. With an assured income now of $200 a day, five days a week, can we now take pride in having solved at least this one person's condition of poverty? Would you say yes?
4: <laughs> I think it's a trick question. No you, can, you, no, you have not solved that person's poverty. No, we haven't. I don't think we have even in the first no. issue. No, you have not. Um, the underlying condition of why she's in poverty still exists. Yes. And uh, I
2: was going to say, because you'd, be, you'd, you'd have been caught there, because I was going to say if you answered yes to this question, you know, you'd, you'd be a communist. <laughs> <laughs> if you answered maybe, or if it depends on the situation, well, then you're a, a conservative or a liberal. If you answered no, then you would be right. Yet, that's the very approach adopted by all parties of all governments when they talk about solving the poverty issue, is to make sure that people who are classified in a poverty position have a steady income from somebody who
4: apparently doesn't need the help. And to do nothing for it. Yes. Mind you, there are people today who do not live in poverty who, who are like that. They have lived off of... Uh, um, they are heirs to fortunes, for example... They have benefactors, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, would you say they're, they're impoverished? No. Um, in fact, I
2: guess I'd have to relinquish a little in, in, in the sense of when I said I was giving this person $100 a day, if it was voluntary, I guess that would be alleviating the person's poverty, as long as the giving was voluntary. But as soon as the giving becomes coerced in any way, then you haven't relieved poverty at all. In fact, you're more likely to start some poverty. She becomes and, the benefactor of stolen goods, then. Pretty much, and that process itself I think is what we call the welfare state and you're basically re- reduced to lifeboat ethics I got into an inter- interesting conversation on another radio station last week again with Andy Utman on uh, CJBK and I argued you know I says our problem today you know all these groups running out of money running out of the necess- necessities they need to supposedly help people I says you know our compassion is the cause of the problem and you know, the long term does not look good for a lot more of us who are, who, who are gainfully employed, who are self-sufficient, because governments are still thinking about being passionate and caring. So I just wanted to go quickly through some points about what governments do specifically to create poverty. And, um, well, one of them, of course, is uh, anything that's green. Anything to do with the green philosophy, that's a poverty creator. People can't even afford hydro because of the cost anymore. I noted yesterday, Lawrence Solomon in the National Post wrote that, uh, quote, the British call it fuel poverty. Some 5 million British citizens are now receiving welfare because they can't meet their electricity payments and the number on the dole is rising. Thanks to our own Green Energy Act, fuel poverty has now come to Ontario too. Several weeks ago, the McGinty government announced that more than half of all the citizens, good, more than half of all the citizens of Northern Ontario will be receiving welfare payments to help them meet their energy bill. Wow. End quote. And I might add Tim Hudak is planning the same thing as well. Same plan. Minimum wages. McGinty brought in minimum wages to help people. I had to help all these people who are, you know, so poor. Well, now they're unemployed. And they knew that they would be unemployed. When they brought it in, they said, "We know that this will increase unemployment in Ontario by 20,000." Actually, they said 60,000. So they graduated because it would be 20,000 a year. <laughs> oh, wow. Taxes. Taxes take over half our income. I think I'm being generous when I say that. The largest single expenditure any Canadian has, any probably American or any person any the world has anymore, is taxes, if they're working. <laughs> and that should be the smallest expense in your daily life. And people always ask, well, where does the money go? I don't see any results for it. Well, it's not for you to see the results. It goes to redistributive programs. It goes wealth transferring to help people. And the And what happens is the money goes to that, say, single mother I talked about earlier, and then the next day the money's gone. It's all consumption. There's no production in the process at all. Employment regulations. They just put people out of work. They force employers to become insurers, to become welfare agents, tax collectors. Uh, is that what you want to take on when you're already trying to do something you know, productive with, with that, and all of a sudden anybody you hire,
4: you have to be a parent to, basically,
2: which is part of what the welfare state... I don't state. think
4: people understand that money is not wealth. No. Wealth is goods and services and products. That's what wealth is. And
2: productivity. If the productivity stops for a minute, if production stops for a minute, we're screwed. It's
4: over. Simply redistributing money does not create wealth. That's exactly right. And that's what
2: the government's doing, too, when they they talk about government stimulating the economy. You know, again, they want to help people. They want, oh, people are out of work. Let's spend their money until they can't afford to pay their taxes. And so, you know... That's where you end up. Now, when I said all of this stuff to Andy, you know, he said, he called me a hard-ass. You know, I'm one of these people who I'm going to let people starve. And you Yeah. Well, that was, he just said that would be what maybe a lot of people would say, or how they might interpret what I'm saying. And uh, that was a bit of a deflection to me, because I was thinking, well, no, what I'm promoting is exactly the opposite. These are the very policies that are forcing us all to starve. You know, and, and why that connection isn't made and yet the connection if i'm forced to help somebody that's okay but if you know you know they talk about being compassionate all the time we live in a compassionate society well guess who's never who that compassion is never ever expressed towards the poor guy paying the taxes he gets zero compassion ask anybody about that you know and of course there's the biggie that we see going on now government inflating the currency and uh, Obama is just pouring printed dollars into his economy, which has brought our dollar up, which is not good for our trade situation with the United States, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, oil and gold are at all-time highs because of people protecting their, their investments in those commodities, which I would be doing, too, if I had a, had a lot of money. But, you know, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And, you know, they promised to get rid of child. Poverty in the year 2000, right? And it just got worse, even though they spent twice as much on it. And while they do, it's like it's like the old Soviet Union. Well, we have another five-year plan for we're going to eliminate it in 2004, 2008, 2012. They'll never eliminate it. Uh, you know, I find the term child of child poverty itself is is quite an offensive term, and I think it's used to make an issue emotional and detract it from the real problem. Because, you know, by definition, you could say all kids are in poverty because they have no income by definition. And, you know, where are the parents? Why do we keep looking the other way? And, uh, you know, it's really interesting that whenever I hear people trying to raise money or fight for causes to beat poverty, the one thing I never hear from these same people is saying that they want lower taxes or let's teach people about capitalism and why capitalism works. No, we always move uh towards the welfare state and whether we get dalton McGuinty or tim hudak or 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 anybody even on the federal whether it's harper or Ignatieff, they're all going in the same direction spend more spend more in fact that's how they justify all of their existence basically is by what they can spend so where does it put us robert
4: <laughs> and not a very good position.
2: No. And things are not looking very good for us because I think we've adopted too many European ways in North America. These are all symptoms of the welfare state. Germany went through this whole whole thing in the 1930s. I don't want to sound like a doomsayer, but from the political point of view, things do not look too good. And I guess you can take uh, two approaches to the situation. You know, you hear, you hear the old... Uh, uh, give a man a fish and feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and feed him for a lifetime. Uh, The first may be a necessity in a crisis, you know, once you're in a crisis situation, but the second is what has to be pursued for the long term. Unfortunately, even teaching a man to fish, quote, if you're going to use that comparison is of less and less value because the government taxes half your fish away (laughs) and then then forces you to spend the others on things you don't want to buy and burns the rest so what do you got left what where is the incentive to work when it's easier to sit at home as people say and a lot of people know how to work the system um and collect money again we're always moving towards the welfare state on the other hand I, i you know i've been giving it a second thought Teach a man to fish, you know, the hand up rather than the hand out. Um, you know, it sounds preferable to the first, but it still assumes that the teacher is in the driver's seat. You know, like, I'm going to teach you how to fish, darn it. It
4: also and assumes. And also assumes the person wants have, to learn. No, and it also assumes that we have a moral obligation to teach people how to fish. Yes, we to do, do one or the other, give or teach. You have to. That, that's a good point. That's yeah. exactly what it's. I'm sorry, but I have my own life. I don't need, I don't right. have a moral obligation to give nor to teach. And if you were to take it literally, say I'm a fisherman, and I I have to teach
2: you how to fish, why would I want to do that? You'd be my competition. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we have unions, to prevent that from happening, right? So, you know, that's the whole situation. What do we mean by poverty, and uh, what is poverty? Uh, We're going to get into that issue next, right after this quick break. And what we're about to hear is probably one of the most classic scenes from uh, a movie that was about contrasting rich and poor in a very comedic way. Beverly Hillbillies, the first episode. And we'll be taking a break and coming back right
1: after this.
0: Chad? Chad, yeah. Ellie May came running over to my place and she said you sold the swamp to some art company.
1: Well, yeah, I guess I did. What did
0: they pay you
1: for? Well, he ain't paid me nothing yet. The Brewster fella said he'd bring the money later.
0: How much they gonna pay you?
1: Well, uh, he said I'd depend some on how much oil they could pump out.
0: Well, he must have mentioned something. What was
1: it? Now, Pearl, you know that old swamp one. Well, shucks.
0: <sighs> Gee, Clampett, you got slick it and you're ashamed to admit it. That's just what I told you. Granny, how much are they gonna pay him?
1: All right, I'll tell you. He said around somewhere between 25 and 100.
0: 25 and 100?
1: I know it don't sound like much, but Mr. Brewster seems to set great store by the fact he's gonna pay me in some new kind of dollars.
0: There
1: ain't no new kind of dollars. Well, it's new to me. I've heard of gold dollars, silver dollars, paper dollars. But he says he's going to pay me in, uh, what do you call them, Granny? Million dollars. That's what that Brewster fella kept calling me. I didn't know just how to take
0: it. You named you rich. Me? The richest man in these hills. Maybe in the whole state. Oh, uh, Jed, you can have anything you want. Do anything you want. Go any place you want.
1: Yeah, that's another thing he kept saying. He said he reckoned I'd be moving away from here soon. What do you think, Pearl? You think I ought to move?
0: Jed. How can you even ask? Look around you. You're eight miles from your nearest neighbor. You're overrun with skunks, possums, coyotes, bald cats. You use kerosene lamps for light. You cook on a wood stove, summer and winter. You're drinking homemade moonshine, washing with homemade lye soap. And your bathroom is 50 feet from the house and you ask, should you move?
1: Yeah, I reckon Man, be a dang fool Lee leave
4: all this. And you're listening to Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where you can call us at five one nine six six one thirty six hundred 661 3600 to join our conversation on poverty. What a classic scene that was. I, I remember that, that when place. I first saw it as a kid, and I said, wow, that says it all. I
2: lived like that almost when, when we first moved to Canada. Apparently you know? Jed thought he
4: was already rich. Yeah, he had it all. He had everything he wanted. Yeah,
2: he even knew about you know, That's interesting. Wealth, you know, I could almost argue that wealth is not just a cure for poverty, it's also the cause of poverty. Because without wealth, there's no poverty to measure it against. Right? It's true, yes. So, And that's been the pattern. In fact, even in the, in the Lucifer principle, I think, uh, in that book, they pointed that out, that... It's not uh, poverty that instigates violence in society. It's the creation of wealth by some, and
4: the people who don't have it suddenly want to get it. <laughs> in, in, in a lot of degrees, yeah. poverty is measured by greed.
2: Yeah, that's not, one not way necessarily of.
4: what you need, but what you want. Well, I hear. I, I understand you've got some definitions of poverty for us. It's, yeah, I was looking into uh, doing a bit of research on poverty, and to find out what the Canadian and Ontario governments think. Uh, It means to be poor. And it was a little different than what I expect. Now, in the United States, they actually have a a monetary value they they apply depending on what state you live in and what your conditions are. For example, if you're single or married or or have children or whatever. But basically, it comes down to about if you make less than $10,000 in the United States, you're considered poor by the government. Now, Canada does not do that. Instead, we have a list, or at least in Ontario, we have a list of items we think everybody should have and if you do not have two or more of these items, you are considered by the Ontario government to be poor and in need of social assistance. Uh, remember, Bob, a few months ago I compared poverty in Canada with the poverty I witnessed into the uh, Dominican Republic? Mm-hmm. You could also make that comparison between a poor family in Toronto, say, with a poor family in the Sudan. The difference would be that the poor family in the Sudan would say that the poor family in Toronto is wealthy beyond their imagination. Poverty is not only relative in geography, it's relative in time, too. A so-called poor family today is living in what a Victorian-era Canadian would think of as luxury, much like with Jed Clampin. Except for the extremely small minority of poor who are homeless, many by choice, by the way, I think you alluded to that earlier, uh, most have a gas or electrically heated home, Even air-conditioned homes, a car, television sets, telephones, clothes on their back, clean running water, food gathered from all around the world. None of these things could have been found in the richest of the homes of a Victorian-era Canadian. And who do we blame when we see people in poverty, Bob? Many blame the government for not redistributing enough money to the poor. Last year, and I think you talked about this before, uh... Ontario Premier Dalton McGinty passed the Poverty Reduction Act. In this act, McGinty plans to spend $1.4 billion to reduce the number of children in poverty by 25% over five years. Now, my question to Mr. McGinty is that if it's a simple matter of spending money, why not spend $5.6 billion? And in five years, there'll be zero children in poverty. Wouldn't that be great? It's only a simple matter of Uh, arithmetic. Four times that amount and you got rid of uh, not only 25% but 100% of the children in poverty. Of course, McGinty's efforts will fail, as all efforts to reduce poverty have failed. In 2008, CTV reported that child poverty in Canada was at the same level as it was in 1989. Nothing changes, no matter how much money governments steal to throw at the problem. But if something does change, is that we are getting more impoverished, all of us, not just the poor. Now, why? Because the only way poverty can be alleviated, it can never be eliminated, is through the social system called capitalism. You'll notice I did not say economic system, because capitalism is a social system. Go back to the list. The items included in the Ontario Deprivation Index are all consequences of capitalism and the profit motive. They're all consequences of men and women working to create new products, to innovate, to improve upon previous discoveries and inventions, to mass produce for mass markets, to make money. Because money is the root of all good. Here are some of the questions on the list. Question. Do you eat fresh fruit and vegetables every day? Do you eat meat and fish at least every other day? Now, my response is, how do we think that you, how do you think you get bananas in the winter in Canada without capitalism? Without a supply chain from plantation owners to plantation workers to truck drivers to supermarkets? All such products crossing multiple national borders in a system of global free trade. Question, are you able to get dental care when you need it? Remember, dentists work for profit and the techniques and instruments they use have developed over generations of people working for profit. If they could not derive personal financial benefit from their work, we would not have the x-ray machines and their dentist drills, etc. Question, are you able to replace a broken appliance, such as a vacuum or a toaster? Where does the government think we get our appliances? They were thought up by scientists who created them and and by industrialists and mess marketed in a capitalist system so that even the poorest among us can afford them they become so inexpensive bob that some of us actually give them away or throw them away with the garbage if they don't match our decor (laughs) (laughs) and here's another question from the um, poverty index do you have appropriate clothes for a job interview Now, a lot of our clothes comes from overseas, where people in real poverty are escaping it by working hard and long hours to ensure that we have $200 running shoes. It's called free trade, another aspect of capitalism. Question, is your house or apartment free of pests such as cockroaches? Firstly, the government already correctly assumes that poor people in question have a place to live, because most of them do. Secondly, even a clean mansion can be infested with pests if it weren't for the intervention, or rather, invention, manufacture, distribution, and retailing of pesticides. And everyone involved... Oh, now I know why they're asking that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently more of us are going to be not yeah. be able to answer this question because more of us are going to have... Well, problems have- with bed bugs and fleas because we can't get the proper pesticides well. because the government has outlawed them. Well, I don't know that they got to the indoor pesticides yet, but they have gotten to the outdoor ones. Uh-huh. Actually, the indoor pesticides are watered down from what you can actually buy in the States yeah. when they actually work. If you really want to get rid of your fleas uh, here in London, go across the border, get the stuff from the States, it'll work first time guaranteed. So, these pesticides.
2: Doesn't that make us poorer? How does that make us poor? Well, if I want to get rid of fleas, I got to go across the border now. Yeah, go yeah. across the why, border. Well, yeah, why? Americans don't have to cross the border to get How rid. of How does that make fleas. you poor? I'm poorer than someone who can go down to the store and just pick it up and have it work. In other words, if I have to pay 20 bucks to get rid of the fleas, and somebody else can pay
4: five bucks to get rid of fleas, I'm 15 bucks short. Well, who right? do you blame for that? You have to blame the well, government. The government, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> who else? Yeah. And here's another question, uh, the last one I'll get into. Are you able to buy small gifts for your family at least once a year? And, of course, whatever the gifts, it was created as a prof- at a profit. It was advertised by advertisers who made profit. It was sold at the mall for a profit. All of the items in the Ontario Deprivation Index, Bob, would not exist without profit, without work, without capitalism. And yet what system gets blamed when we recognize that we have people living in poverty? Capitalism. Could a poor child... Work as a shoe shiner on the street corner? Nope, not in Canada. He'd not be able to afford the municipal license required to ply a trade on the street. Could he work at some unskilled menial job, perhaps sweeping up a, at somebody's shop? Nope. He would th- be thought to be making less than the minimum wage, and the shop owner would be accused of exploiting him. He would uh, have to cl- declare his income, too. And we got into that. Half of it would be taken away by the government uh, in taxes. And I'm just going to conclude Mm -hmm. with at least one quote from Ayn Rand. Sure. Ayn Rand, the queen of capitalism. (laughs) Quote, never mind the low wages and the harsh living condition of the early years of capitalism. They were all that the national economies of the time could afford. Capitalism did not create poverty. It inherited it. Compared to the centuries of pre-capitalist starvation, the living conditions of the poor in the early years of capitalism were the first chance the poor had ever had to survive. As proof, the enormous growth of the European population during the 19th century, a growth of over 300%, as compared to the previous growth of something like 3% per century. That was from Ayn Rand, Faith and Force, The Destroyers of the Modern World, from Philosophy Who Needs It. Mm-hmm. Well, we're at the bottom of the hour already, Robert.
2: Uh, When we come back after our break, we'll be hearing an excerpt from a 1999 broadcast of the Michael Quarren Show on which there was a panel discussion taking place on the subject of child child poverty. And uh, remember, this is 1999, the year before it was going to be eradicated by the year 2000, right? (laughs) Right. I was one of the panel members and specifically the guy in the gray suit, which will mean something to you when you hear the clip. To put it bluntly, I was on the one side of the debate, and every other panel member was on the other. Then a caller named Mary phoned into the show to support my point of view, and just wait till you hear how that, how they all ganged up on Mary, too. But that's after the break. And I just wanted to say something about that show, too. On that show, the other guests were Laura Rothman, National Coordinator of Campaign 2000, Chico Agluefo, who was a single mother, president of Mothers Against Poverty, and Paul Zabo, liberal MP for Mississauga South. And by the way, his definition of poverty, by the way, he called child poverty a politically convenient synonym for family poverty. But he also pointed out that in Canada, someone is considered poor who spends 55% of their income on food, shelter, and clothing, and, uh, you know, Corrin responded to him, well, he spends 55%, and he doesn't consider himself poor. And yet, get this, 40% of people classified as poor in Canada own their own home, and 50% of those people have no mortgage. Wow. And those people are considered poor. They're better off but first, yeah, let's take a break for a smile, and we'll be back after this.
3: I grew up, uh, I grew up Irish, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hold your applause! I just like yelling. Look, I grew up Irish. And growing up Irish, I had to hear several stories about the terrible, horrible Irish potato famine of the 18-somethings and how horrible it was. Listen, coffee, millions of people died. Millions of people and why because there were no potatoes
5: <laughs> are
3: these the pickiest people in the world <laughs> oh my belly's all bloated and distended i'm dying if only i had a potato oh. Sweet baby Jesus, please make it rain potatoes. I'm dying. Why don't you you try some corn? I don't like corn. Are you sure you probably never even tried it? Oh yes, I did, yes. I remember at that wedding they had corn that time. I tried it. Don't care for it. No, I don't really. Don't care for it over much. Well, you got to do something. Just have some corn. See, I have a problem with textures. Some things feel weird in my mouth, and <laughs> corn's just kind of icky and gross. I don't, oh, no. No, no thank you. No thank you. Well, all right, then. Why don't you just go ahead and starve to death? Uh, yeah, that's what I was doing before you had to interview me for your book about corn. <laughs> wow. Come on.
6: This is going very quickly. Let's uh, let's get straight to the lines. Mary is on line six. Hello to you, Mary.
0: Hi. I'm calling because I'm probably one of the few people who does agree with the gentleman in grey. Uh, I think we're paying too many taxes. I think we're supporting too many people who are not working, are not getting up off the couch and getting a job. I used to work in a bank where people would come in and cash welfare checks and be wearing, you know expensive clothing, jewelry, have their kids running around, have a cab waiting outside, hurry up, cash my check so I can catch my cab and go do my errands. I'm tired of supporting people living free off the system. I don't mind paying for people who are really struggling, but unfortunately in our country today, there are too many people who really don't need the welfare and are abusing the system. And until this country finds a way to stop these abusers from getting these checks, we're never going to help the child poverty that's going on in the country.
7: Go ahead. Okay. I hear you saying that there is a lot of abuse in this country for people who are on welfare. I'm not on welfare. I am working. I'm not abusing anything or anybody. I want to work. But I do not think that you have the right to put a blanket statement on people who are on welfare, to state that everybody's a couch potato. I was on welfare I and she I- she just
2: expressed her experience. I don't think she gave a label because to everybody. You see,
7: because you see two or three people who catch their welfare check at the end of the month or go drinking, there's a lot of people that have mental problems and alcoholic problems. You cannot blanket everybody we single mothers that are Nobody's struggling doing to that. raise that children. That's why we need
2: a choice in welfare so that we can choose and decide that I want to give to the person who deserves it and I don't want the person who doesn't deserve it. The not provincial to get it.
7: government just gave you 30% tax cut. That's what have good. you done with it? Have you given me any or anybody any that yeah, tax dollars? 30% and 22% of people but, who are on welfare.
6: Mary, go ahead. I'm
7: not the one
0: who has told these people on welfare to go out and have three, four kids. After the first child, a lot of
7: the people are on welfare and they're having a second and a third child. I'm Excuse me, I was, people people, I was married. I was mean, married like not, the way I'm supposed to be married. She's I not getting you. Right. She's not getting it. No, you. no, I'm here you're to right. give an example for mothers who up. are poor, who are on welfare or are living in poverty. You cannot be insulting us this way. But if okay? If you're not collecting you're so poverty, what you're, what you're
2: what not even subject wife to wife what she's I saying.
7: No, 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 no. I was there before. Let Mary continue. Nobody's going insult
0: people on welfare. Mary,
6: continue. Carry on. Carry on,
7: Mary by people who go
0: out and have children and know they can't support them in the first place. I feel disgusted by people like that. You're not taking responsibility for the children in our society. Their parents are not taking responsibility for their own children. Why should I pay for their children?
7: You cannot put a blanket statement on a minority group of people than hardworking single mothers that are raising their children, trying very hard. That blanket statement is making me sick. And the fact that the majority of women, single parents on social assistance, have had
0: partners. The majority did not come on as... Uh, Sole support parents with uh, no uh, other parent in
6: her. What about the okay, caller? I address, Mary, if I may just address you for a second. It, it must be very annoying if you're working in a bank and you see someone come in, and there are abusers, yep, and they're cashing the cheque, and they, you don't get much money if you're on welfare. So if they're dressed in this expensive way and have a cab, they're also they're breaking the law because they're getting money elsewhere. But we're talking about a very small minority, and the fact is, if you are a single mother on welfare, you ain't got very much at all honestly mary believe me there is not much there so i know the personal the anecdote the experience can make you bitter but you're talking about a small minority of people
0: i don't see that's the problem a lot of the people who do have money don't see that they see the abusers out there they're the oh. ones who are out and you know they get caught and they see that and they don't want to pay anymore we're fed up of paying taxes
6: Mary, it's unfortunate that sometimes media concentrates on the cases where people are abusing and not the vast majority where they're barely getting it together. And I, mean, ha-
2: well, I think the issue is if Mary was not forced to support a charity she wouldn't otherwise force, there wouldn't be an issue here. She wouldn't be complaining how, about anyone. Well, how do I guess you know?
0: what, Mary, I don't know your situation, I don't want to ask, but perhaps one day in the next five years... You yourself may at some point not have a job. I don't know if you have children, but there are people in that situation who have nowhere else to turn okay. and really need the social safety net.
6: I appreciate the call, Mary. I, I do understand where you're coming from, but you know, sometimes if we just stand back a bit and consider um, the idea that... Uh, and I think the construction that we were hearing from you was they are all, or I believe I don't want to pay because, is a bad one. But I appreciate the call very much. Let's go to J- uh, Jody on line three.
2: Well, Robert, I don't think uh, Michael Corrin really did understand her point. No? Her point wasn't about the poor people and everybody else. It was, leave me alone. That's all she was asking for. Give me a choice. Don't come after me. She was probably feeling pretty poor herself. And, you know, I think the caller Mary fell into the category of what Ayn Rand would have called the sanction of the victim, where the victim, the victim of the welfare system who's being robbed um, is actually giving up their claim, to not being robbed by saying I don't mind paying for people who are really suffering right well yeah I don't mind paying either except I do mind being forced whether they're suffering or not that's not the way you do it and people do not seem to understand that as soon as you have forced spending in a system and we'll talk about that later you're not getting any value for your money and uh, you know she talked about a lot of things um, stop abusers too many taxes uh, I've talked to tellers and banks who are convinced. I mean, this this woman was kind. She, she, they think 100% of welfare recipients are kind of cheating the system, that the whole thing is corrupt, and uh, that we're just not giving money to people who, quote, need it, because there's no mechanism there to choose between the ones who need it and who don't need it. I mean, if people can be classified as poor who own their own homes and don't even have a mortgage, what is it based on, you know? Did you get any other impressions from that,
4: from that corn... Well just the I have to say the word shrillness of the uh, poverty advocate there was um, was telling I think that she found that the arguments that the woman the caller Mary was making were attacks on her personally and of course they weren't Mary was simply trying to say there are abusers out there and I and I don't feel the need personally to uh, to be their keepers well me thinks she did
2: protest too too loudly yeah i think she is an abuser i don't I, she said she wasn't on welfare yes she was she was she was running a government-run agency that's welfare. welfare. <laughs> that's welfare and if your government's paying you for that and they weren't even helping kids with uh, necessities they were buying computers for them and that was the, the thing she was into which is a great thing. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but that is not down in the, you know, you can't feed yourself type of a category. Uh, You know, and before the break, we were listening to uh, that humorous anecdote about the Irish potato famine. (laughs) I actually looked some stuff up about that little history. Uh, The potato famine in Ireland actually took place in 1845 to 1852 and in the Scottish Highlands at the same time, around 1846 to 1857. And... The reason was, the proximate cause was apparently there was a potato disease, a potato blight went yes. around. Correct. But that wasn't, that was a cause of the, the crop failure, but not of the starvation. The starvation was caused, and I, I just checked very quickly on um, Wikipedia. Um, they had laws that restricted the rights of the Irish and they restricted the, light, the, the, the size of the plot of the land that they could own. And in 1845, 24% of all Irish tenant farms were of 0.4 to 2 hectares, which is 1 to 5 acres in size, while 40% were 2 to 6 hectares, 5 to 15 acres. Holdings were so small that only potatoes and no other crop could suffice to feed a family. There's your reason. Well, there's several other reasons, too. But there is such an obvious one, right? The law restricted what you could grow
4: for yourself, so you couldn't grow corn. And that had to be a new invention. And it just didn't stop there. Once the uh, famine actually set in and and, uh, the population of Ireland actually was cut in half because of uh, emigration away from this famine from 8 million down to 4 million. They still haven't recovered, by the way. Ireland's population has not reached the level it was before the famine. Is that right? Yeah, it's about 6 million right now, and it was 8 million at its height back in uh, around 1830s. But here's an interesting little anecdote about the same situation. Did you realize that Queen Victoria prohibited a sultan of the Ottoman Empire from contributing 10,000 pounds to alleviate... The, uh, the hunger there, because she herself had only contributed 2,000 pounds. She told him that you cannot give more than I, so the sultan was forced to give only 1,000 pounds. Oh, my goodness. But um, he actually loaded up three ships with food and sent it off to Ireland. The English actually tried to blockade the ships. <laughs> that is how much the English hated the Irish Uh, and thought them as second-class citizens during that period well clearly
2: and that's why you can make a joke about the potato famine today you know because it's far enough removed and you know it's funny when you have a joke like that the humor of that joke depends on our accepting what we have available to us today and comparing it to a time in the past when they had that many more restrictive um, elements you know um both of us, we're, we're fans of Star Trek, right, to some degree? Yes. I was watching an episode of Star Trek, Deep Space
4: Nine. Not so much of Enterprise, though. No? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not get into that. I was watching an episode of... Uh, and the fifth movie, so. Yeah,
2: uh, Deep Space Nine, um, which featured uh, the characters Dr. Bashir and Commander Benjamin Sisko. They they went back in time, um, back to Earth on, in California, I think, prior to something they call the Bell Riots. And it was a period of history, only a decade or two, um away from our immediate future today i think it was 2020 or something like that that they came back to but from the sounds of things governments were still in the world of star trek's uh, time travel doing as much as they could to deal with the so-called poor they even built a sanctuary apparently where the homeless and helpless could be protected like from things like employment and competing with the middle class or the upper class and there was a telling conversation with one of the bureaucrats, or I guess civil servants, if you want to call her that, who was dedicated to helping the poor in that sanctuary. And uh, that depressing conversation, I think, was a complete mirror of our own current misdirected compassion for the poor. you are going to listen to that right now. When we come back on the other side, we're going to look at some solutions for poverty and how we can see ourselves getting out of this, at least in the long term, if not in the short term, and we'll be back right after this.
5: When I first started working here, I processed a woman who had a warrant out on her for abandoning her kid. She couldn't take care of him. So she left him with a family that she worked for over in the marina. I felt so sorry for her didn't log her in. I, I just let her disappear into the sanctuary. Well, that was very kind of you. Almost got me fired when my supervisor found out. What happened to this woman? I don't know. But I think about her all the time. Maybe since then, I've just my job you know try not to let it get the best of me it's not your fault that things are the way they are everybody tells themselves that and nothing ever changes
1: I'd be buying, but with the money rolling in, I bought the whole car lot and half a downtown bedrock. I know this uh, might change our lifestyle.
0: That's what I thought when I walked into Bloomingstone's department store.
1: Looks like you bought up half a Blooming Stone.
0: Oh no, George! With the money you gave me, I bought the whole store, along with three beauty salons and a couple of health spas.
1: Don't tell me, Judy bought a couple of new record albums.
0: Well, not exactly. Mine, all mine, all. Hi, Daddy. You remember Iggy? Well, I'm the new manager of his band. And with the big allowance you gave her, she also bought Tower Rock Records and the Bedrock
1: Coliseum, where the band will be opening this weekend. You know,
6: Jane, life at bedrock
2: may not be so bad after all. That was Jetson's, of course, Meeting the Flintstones, a very important movie in my television watching. I think I missed that one. <laughs> 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 but you know, the idea of having two or more cars or having more than you need to survive is actually offensive to a lot of people, especially when they consider that we live in a world with so much poverty and need. I remember when my mother used to always tell me to finish whatever was on my plate because if some poor kid in Africa was starving. Right? By Africa, I think it was at the time, wasn't it? I don't know wherever it was. <laughs> That's what I was told. But, uh, you know, how that last bite of gluttony on my part would alleviate some other person's suffering halfway around the world, I never could understand. But it sure helped alleviate
4: my guilt. <laughs> did you know, Bob? Bob, yeah. did you know that? Um, a report in 2008 by the Community Foundation of Canada, CFC, talked about poverty and how 25% of Canadian kids live in poverty, which, by the way, is incorrect. Fraser Institute says it's like 4.9, but that's, be that as it may. They also link poverty with the obesity rate in Canada. It's swollen to 16% in 2007 from 12% in '96. The obesity rate linked with poverty. Oh. Fat, poor people. Compare that to the distended bellies of the Biafrans or the potato farmers in, uh, in Ireland. Well, it's our inter- problem with the poor people here is that they're too fat. That does, you know, that's amazing.
2: Well, it certainly wouldn't go over good with the poor people who aren't in that situation, you know, who, mm-hmm. are, who aren't like that. But uh, it's interesting that um, also Paul Zabo on the show I was on, he talked about how. Uh, they wrap into the defini- definition of poverty and what ne- what is needed to alleviate poverty considerations for reasonable income for cultural and recreational and social activities so that people can fully participate in the fabric and richness of Canada that's a bureaucrat talking wow let me tell you that's not poverty at all but bread and circuses that sounds like <laughs> pretty much you know in that deep space 9 conversation where the woman says you know how sorry she f- she, she felt for these people, and she said, uh, You know, they said it's not your fault. And she goes, That's what everybody tells themselves, but nothing changes, right? And why does nothing change? It's because we keep doing the same thing over and over again. We just take from Peter and give to Paul. How's that going to change anything ever? I mean, do we ever even think it through? And, you know, it's just as uh, everybody says, Yeah, it's the economy, stupid, and, and so it is. But whether the economy is prosperous or poor is only a question that can be answered by philosophy, not by some pragmatic range-of-the-moment lifeboat ethics thinking that dominates the thinking of all of our elected officials, you know, which means it, direct, it sort of points us in a direction um, that's actually being aggressively advocated and implemented. It's not by accident that we're going in this direction. It's being done on purpose. I mean, to-
4: as a matter of fact, for the last 60, 70 years, we've lived in a welfare state. And yet we still have poverty ask yourself the question why that is it's because the welfare state doesn't work it has to change okay so what's the answer capitalism pure and simple okay that what does that mean to the average person dog eat dog right that's what <laughs> it means to a lot of people yeah. you know why uh, i'm going to give you a quote from ayn rand again all right mm-hmm just give me a minute here. It says, Capitalism has created the highest standard of living ever known on Earth. The evidence is incontrovertible. The contrast between Western East Berlin is the latest demonstration. Um, that was This is written back in the early 60s. Sure. Like a laboratory experiment for all to see. Yet those who are loudest in proclaiming their desire to eliminate poverty are loudest in denouncing capitalism. Man's well-being is not their goal. What greater virtue, she says, can one ascribe to a social system like capitalism than the fact that it leaves no possibility for any man to serve his own interests by enslaving other men? What nobler system could be desired by anyone whose goal is man's well-being? Listen to the words that Rand uses, Bob, to describe capitalism. Virtuous and noble. Very few people today consider the social system of capitalism as being virtuous or noble because it has been systematically and deliberately vilified by people who advocate our slavery to each other these people are the altruists the men and women who claim that we all have a duty to live for the sake of each other or for the sake of the state these same people are the ones clamoring for government handouts to divvy out to the poor as long as they can take a sizable chunk of it for themselves. They are vicious, they are evil, they should be identified as such and ostracized for their cruelty. They wish to keep people in poverty and destroy the only moral social system that can lift everyone's living standard, capitalism.
2: Well, that's why she named her book, Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal, because people literally do not know what it is. You know, I think the appeal of socialism is emotional, and it's very self-interested in a a self-destructive way. Um, If you've ever noticed, socialism is always judged by its promised results, which are never achieved, by the way but never by its process, which is coercion through government against its own citizens for the purpose of redistributing their wealth and savings to other people so socialism literally is a consumptive not productive process it's more accurate to say dog-eat-dog socialism than it ever would be to say dog-eat-dog capitalism Yes, because there's no dog eating any dog in capitalism there's a dog creating his own food he's not eating anybody else force is outlawed in capitalism exactly whereas capitalism is always judged by its process which includes the rule of law freedom voluntarism, consent private property the right of contract which welfare statists and socialists dismiss through bromide labels and slogans such as selfishness, greed, profit-driven, uncaring, capitalist pig, all the denigrating terms they can think of. But capitalism is never judged by its results, which arise naturally from the process just described in which far exceed in every respect anything that the most ambitious socialist promise ever even attempted to promise, let alone deliver. And so... You know they have their eternal five-year plans five-year plans five-year plans five-year plans and never ever do they get closer to the goal they get further away from it to me there's no comparison bob
4: none whatsoever uh,
2: and and yet i know most of the people listening to us today they're going to vote liberal or conservative or ndp next time they will even if they agree with everything we're saying and and then they think that's going to take them in another direction. It can't possibly. And people with those philosophies, it doesn't matter how well-meaning they are, it doesn't matter how big their smile is, it doesn't matter how nice they are when you meet them down at the pub, it doesn't matter how nice they are with your kids, as long as they believe in this evil idea, you're going to have evil results. How can you change it? You know... Here we are, It's Judeo-Christian, you know, Judeo-Christianity is a basic philosophy. Yes. And I grew up in it. It's a philosophy of altruism. It always said, thou shalt not steal. Now, where is it even in that formula of altruism that it says, well, to be altruistic, go ahead and steal then? Thou shalt not steal unless a democratic majority approves? Is that the new rule under Christianity? Because that's what we're practicing.
4: The altruism of Christianity was the guilt concept, that we are our brother's keeper. Otherwise, if you are not, you are guilty of a sin.
2: Well, then, um, you know, if if I'm my brother's keeper, um, whose keeper is he?
4: You're 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 your
2: brother's <laughs> keeper,
4: whether he likes it or not. That's right. <laughs> whether you, know, you like it.
6: It's or a
2: not. vicious circle, you know. Like like one person is the beneficiary. He's okay to get the benefits, but um, if he's earning them on his own, then he's evil. If we're all in he's the only, social he's safety only net, he's only moral if he gets it from you for uh, yeah. being forced by someone else. You and that's to, the total inversion of morality, and that's what we're dealing with in our society today. Used and to that's say why that we're if going. We're all in alone. the
4: social safety net. Who's holding up yeah, the net? Yeah,
2: if everybody's in the net, who's holding it up? Well, we can't hold up the show anymore because I think we've reached the end of our show today, so I think we've got to get out of here today, Robert. And uh, this is a subject that's not going away. We know that for sure. And it'll be back over and over and over again until uh, some of us, you know, I think it's going to take a lot of more more pain on the part of a lot more people before they even give any people thought to
4: educate this. themselves
2: about capitalism. That's it. And with that, I leave you... You know, I think uh, I'm going to end the show today... Tell everyone, listen, read a- Ayn Rand's Atlas, Shrugged, and if fiction's not your thing, then try out her uh, virtue of selfishness and capitalism, the unknown ideal, which are nonfiction footnotes to the fiction um, novel. And the thrust of these books is not about economics, but about morality, choice, ethics, the nature of life itself. These books answer the question why and how, not just the what and who. And certainly um, a lot of what you hear on this show uh, came out of those books and the philosophy that Ayn Rand uh, basically discovered and put together at the first this is a first this has never been done before so we are attempting to continue that tradition here that's it for this week and we're out of here hope you join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction until then you know what to do be right stay right do right act right think right and be right back here
6: Did I mention I'm getting a divorce? (laughs) I got seven kids out of her, I'm done. I'm not paying child support. Ladies, are you with me on this? I am not paying child support. You know, everybody talks about deadbeat dads. What about the kids who just aren't worth the child support? (laughs) Am I right, ladies? Deadbeat kids. Why can't my three-year-old get a job? My sneakers were made by a two-year-old in Burma.